0: welcome to the Garden church podcast a couple of weeks ago I was preaching on the book of Job and because uh, I think it's a vital book for people to understand right now if I had to pick one book right now well obviously the gospel and yeah but if there's like one message, I think I think it's the book of Job. And the reason why I preached it was it's such a strange book. And it's such an offensive book. Because it's strange because in the beginning you have this conversation between God and Satan, right? And Satan's up there talking to God, and you're just like what is that that's not something i think about you know and and satan's saying well have you considered my servant job and they have this whole discussion like god and the devil and and the devil's saying well he just loves you because you've blessed him so much take it all away and see what happens and god's like all right go ahead Take it away. And then in the next few verses, you see Job lose everything that's dear to him. I mean, all of his possessions, all of his servants are killed. And then all of his children die. And then Job is just, afflicted with like these sores all over his body. And he's sitting there with a broken piece of clay, just scraping these sores like, oh, he's lost everything. And now he's in tremendous physical pain. And that's so offensive to us because it says Job was the most righteous man on earth. And you read about his life, you're going, well, and everything in us is screaming, that's not fair. You have no right to do this. He doesn't deserve that. All because of something that Satan said to you? And it's, you know, in this very man-centered, me-centered worldview that most of us have where, hey, I deserve this, this is my right, and this shouldn't have happened to me. To see this happen to someone like Job, just it just kills that whole paradigm where we go, what is that all about? So we just avoid the book of Job. Right? And, or, you know, unless we just go, oh, yeah, Job went through trials and I turned my ankle. I'm just like Job. And we just <laughs> cry for each other and hug and pour you. And But I'm looking at this book going, this is a fascinating message that this world is not about us. It is so not about me that God could take everything away from me and be perfectly just in doing it and that there's a bigger narrative going on than my feelings, that's tough to stomach. And then after that, you've got 35 chapters of Job and his friends dialoguing about what just happened. And his friends are like, you must have done something wrong. Because God wouldn't have done that, and Job's like, I'm, tr- I'm racking my brain, going, man, I don't even look at a woman in the wrong way. Anyone who needs a place to stay, they're welcome in my house. I, I don't feel like I've held anything back. I'm, and, and and you're just reading, going, Job lived a pretty righteous life, and and they're arguing for thirty five chapters. Until God finally speaks up in chapter 38, and he goes, you guys done? Are you done? And it says he answers them out of this whirlwind, and he says, brace yourself, Job. He goes, I'll ask the questions, and you answer me. And then he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of this earth? Tell me, since you have so much knowledge. I mean, you're questioning the creator. So I I could have really used you when I created the world. I mean, it's total sarcasm. He goes, where were you? I mean, you've got so much understanding that you would question God with your lips. So, So where were you? I could have used you. And it's just like he just hammers him. He doesn't answer any of the questions of why or he just reveals who he is. And at the end of it, Job says, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. And it's offensive because we go, well, if anyone had a right to question God and state his opinion, I think it's Job and yet God never answers him. In fact, he, he questions Job. And at the end, Job just says, I hate myself. And I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. He goes, I'd always heard of you. But now that my eyes have seen you, I repent in dust and ashes. <clears throat> And most of us, when we read the book of Job, we skip those 35 chapters in the middle because you just realize it's it's kind of nonsense. It's it's like the four or five sharpest people on earth, you know, doing a podcast. and And at the end of it, God's just like, you guys missed it. You don't understand. There's something bigger going on in heaven. Than your little life, and you dared question me. And Job probably did the wisest thing he ever did in his life, where he put his hand over his mouth and said, I spoke about things that were over my head, and so I'm just going to shut up now. And at that time, God blesses Job's life and restores everything. And I just think, oh, we need that more than ever. But then guys like me will come on a stage and try to cram everything they can into 30 minutes and talk and talk and talk. And God recently has been showing me when we speak of something sacred and we say it really quickly, we can actually belittle something that is sacred. Like if I walk up here and go, hey, this is so good, God is in this room, and then we love his presence, and so man, why don't you guys just, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa what did you just say? You said, God. The presence of almighty God is in this room. Do you know what you just said? Do you, do you understand like uh, the Old Testament and the, the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant, that, that a human being could only walk in there once a year. The high priest could walk in there once a year and actually a human being be in the presence of God. Like that was an intense, intense moment that that priest may or may not live through. But he had to do everything right for a human being to come into the presence of God. It was a sacred, like everyone's just looking going, he's going in there. A man is about to go into the presence of, they wouldn't even say God. They would just say Hashem, the name. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to say his name. I'm not going to have his name come out of my lips. A man's about to go in and be with the name. And it's like, and everyone would just watch as he's going in. Kind of like when Moses would go into that tent of meeting and they would see the glory cloud come down onto the tent and everyone would just stand outside of their tent and go, God and man are in the same place. Like it was sacred. And I was learning a little bit about the temple this week and, and how it really was designed so differently than some of our gatherings. Because I, I, you know, I mean, this has been my life for 20-something years where I just go from conference to conference and look at countdown clock after countdown clock and, you know, and just try to cram everything I can in there. And, you know, I try to, you know, rile everyone up. It's a big youth thing. And by the end, if we're all screaming, I did it. And you look at the temple and it was kind of the opposite. It was these outer courts where there was more noise. and But the closer and closer you got to the Holy of Holies, It just seemed to slow down, quiet down. And now it goes, I'm about to step into the presence of God. I'm still alive. And it's this high priest as the curtain closes and this mist would appear in that above the mercy seat in the ark. And man was there with God. And you're just like... It was like this growing into silence where you're suddenly like, I'm in the presence of God. This is insane. And then you study the early church, you realize like that moment was communion when they go, I'm going to partake in the body and blood of Christ? You know, 1 Corinthians 10 says that that bread that you bless, is it not a participation in the flesh of Christ? That cup that we drink, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And that participation that word is koinonia you know fellowship but if you really look at the word in you know in in the greek it's actually the word intercourse it's like wait there's there's like this intimacy that takes place where his blood and his flesh somehow and i'm not going to try to over define it just somehow mysteriously there's some sort of fellowship between the flesh and blood of Christ and mine. So 1 Corinthians 10 says, "It goes, is it not a koinonia with the flesh of Christ? And, and so that's why there's the warning of, don't just take it. He goes, that's why some people got sick. That's why some people died, is they ate of the bread and they drank of the cup in an unworthy manner. And they didn't recognize the body of Christ. But it was like this sacred, I'm about to fellowship with Christ. This is why people used to gather. Not because, oh, this speaker is coming or this band is coming or there's a crowd coming. It's like, I want the body to gather together in unity so that we can fellowship with the body and blood of Christ. And that's why there's that warning, and don't you do this in an unworthy manner, you could die. Taking up this bread, or, but everyone's, I mean, think about it, if, if I told you in, in the, I don't know, the classroom, if there's a classroom over there, am I pointing the right direction? Okay, that way. Let's say, hey, you guys, in the classroom over there, Jesus is actually going to come down in the flesh and you could line up right now one by one and just touch his hand and then leave. You could touch Jesus. Or you can stay in this room and hear me preach for an hour <laughs> tough choice huh <laughs> right but that was the idea it's like well of course i would rather coinanea with the flesh and blood of jesus this was the climax this was like that moment and it was so sacred And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he goes, this thing you do, he goes, that's not the Lord's Supper. He goes, don't call that the Lord's Supper. He goes, because when you guys eat, you've got people who are hungry and you're not taking care of them. And you got another guy who's drunk and then you're taking the bread and cup and calling it the Lord's Supper. He goes, anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord Eats and drinks judgment upon himself. It's like it's recognizing the body. I believe it's talking about the flesh and the blood that 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 is there in the Eucharist, but I believe for sure, in context of First Corinthians 10 through 14, he's talking about us being the body. He goes, You better recognize, because he's saying, look, some of some of these guys that have the Holy Spirit in them, they're starving and you don't even care. And then you'll eat of the flesh and blood without recognizing that guy's a part of the body. And the rich were in one section, and they're eating all this lavish food. And then the poor are over there just sharing what little they had. And Paul's saying, you're calling this the Lord's Supper. You're not even recognizing the body. He goes, this is why some of you died. He explains that this is New Testament. New Testament. This is why some of you died, and this is why a lot of you are sick. It's not because you didn't wear a mask. You took of this without recognizing the body. Now just think about this last season we've been, where everyone's been very concerned. I'm not making any statements here. I'm just, but I am making a statement about communion of why aren't we more concerned about sickness that can come from that. And the New Testament scriptures tell us that. And why don't we hold that bread and go, this could kill me. If I don't make sure I recognize the body of the Lord. I'm about to do something sacred. This is the New Testament Holy of Holies. You would never think to just barge in to the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And just hug the Ark it's just, it's, we've lost sacredness. And some of it is because of all of this pace that we keep up with. And then I feel a pressure when I come into the room because I know how quickly your minds have been going for the last, you know, week. Week. And I know how you're just like, even in, right now, thinking about, man, how many texts do I have to return right after service? And, and you're just going, boom, 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 let me do this, let me do this. And then I'm going to come down and try to slow your mind down. And yet, that's exactly what the temple was about. And that's why Ecclesiastes 5 says, guard your steps. When you go to the house of God, don't be quick to utter anything with your lips. God's in heaven, you're on earth. Let your words be few. He says, don't offer the sacrifice of fools. With their many words, they don't know that what they're doing is evil. Wow. It's interesting after I spoke on the book of Job and I talk about, you know, what happened in heaven, 35 chapters of blah, 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 blah. And then God speaks and it's just silence. I was interviewed afterwards and the guy that was interviewing me, he said, hey, what were you doing in 1987? (laughs) 1987, I said I would have just finished City College. I moved down to Southern California and I began interning at a youth ministry and going to Bible college. So the summer of 87, I would have been moving, packing my stuff, moving to Southern California. And he goes, He goes. is that when you started preaching? I was like, yeah, it would have been the summer of 87. And I go, why? He goes, well, in your message, you talked about these 35 chapters of just talk, 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 talk. And he goes, 1987 would have been 35 years ago. I was like, wow. And he goes, isn't it interesting that you've been talking for 35 years and now God is calling you into a sacred silence of just trusting. Like I don't feel a pressure like I've got to cram a bunch of words into this morning. has so just recently hit me that I was thinking, I was reminded this morning about one time I flew all the way to like Edmonton, Canada and, and to speak at a thing. And But every speaker always goes long, right? And so by the time it got to me, they only had four minutes for me. Because the worship guy felt led by the Spirit. You know, the skit guy felt led for one more joke. And, you know, the announcement guy felt like he just really wanted everyone's attention. And it just went on and on and on. They just come to me and like, we're sorry, we only have four minutes now. And then we have to get people to the other thing. I'm like, it's cool. Four minutes. And uh, so I took my four minutes Jumped on my plane and flew home, you know? And I I was just thinking, wow, that's so crazy. Everyone just feels like, I know my time's up, but I'm going to say a few more things because my words are so powerful. And if you, and how many times I'd get done speaking somewhere and I'd go, oh, I should have said this also. You ever do that? You get out of a conversation, oh, I forgot to say this. Because if I had said those four more sentences, it would have been (laughs) life-changing. And it's just showing me, wow, what do I believe? About myself, about my prayers. And after being at this conference just a couple weeks ago, I thought, for 12 hours... We had like 30 speakers, different musicians. It was all good. But at the end, I thought, oh, shoot, Lord. Did we sound more like the prophets of Baal who were just screaming, trying to make something happen? Or Elijah, who just knew his God? He just gets on his knees and he prays for 20 seconds. You remember that story? Where you got these prophets just cutting themselves up because God's not answering it. So come on louder, you guys. You know, and they're screaming, and and Elijah, with just so much peace, is just sitting there mocking them, like no one's listening to you. Remember in that classic phrase, he's like, well, maybe your God is relieving himself. (laughs) Just mocking, like, he might be in the bathroom. (laughs) Louder, you guys, cut yourselves more. This is great. Oh, he's really going to listen to you now. And then this man, after he he is, you guys done? And they're trying to get God to respond to light this this sacrifice on fire and Elijah just so much peace and confidence go, hey, why don't you guys drench it with water now, more water, just douse it with water because it's my turn and he just gets on his knees. I mean, I read through the prayer, 20 seconds and then fire falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, and everyone leaves gone. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Whoever you pray to Elijah, that is God. And I believe the Lord is leading me into this season, this summer, after 35 chapters of my life, of talking, that there is truth in the book of Job. I'm not saying it was all nonsense. It's just a bunch of wise guys talking but never seeing the bigger picture. And then God shuts them up. And never in the history of my life have I seen a time in our country, in our church's life, where we just need to shut up more than ever and just tremble at his word. Just take the bread and cup and put our hands over our mouths and recognize how sacred this time is. We need to learn how to slow down. Don't you see this as the enemy? Trying to get your minds to go to such a pace that you can't even be quiet and pray anymore. That when you close that door, close your eyes and try to pray, a thousand thoughts come to your head. And so you just try to offer up something quick and you just think something's wrong with me or God's not close to me. I can't hear his voice. 1 Peter 4. Sorry to the PowerPoint guy, I didn't use any of the verses I gave you. <laughs> um, I was in Exodus, uh, but which is... Gosh, I wish I could preach it. That was a good sermon. Um, (laughs) Maybe another time. Have me back. Um, But what was I saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. He says, look, The world is ending. The end of all things is right here. So two things you need to do is be sober-minded. I mean, obviously, don't get drunk, don't be high, because you just can't think clearly. But in our context, sober-minded, clear-minded, is my mind is not going a 1,000 miles a minute. Be sober-minded and self-controlled. Self-controlled. Where, oh, I can just push this moon and it doesn't bug me. (laughs) And I don't have to check it. I can have self-control. I don't have to watch every TikTok video over and over. So I can pray because the end is near. And so what's the enemy going to do? Knowing that the end is near, he's going to try to get our minds going faster and faster, stimulate us more and more so that we're not sober-minded, so we can't pray. And he's going to have me come up here and try to throw as many thoughts as I can into your head. Meanwhile, the moment you leave, you're going to try to answer and catch up to all the people you missed in the last hour and a half. And he's just going to try to get everything to go quickly. And I was thinking at my, the last big gathering I did, I thought, oh, I just had a couple minutes of silence. And I talked to him And I asked him just to give what each person needed rather than me trying to guess and say something that appeals to every single person in the room. If I really believed I could talk to him and he could mysteriously give you grace for whatever you needed. And you just sat there in faith going, I believe something's about to happen. And some sort of fire from heaven could go into the core of your being and change you. Then why wouldn't I just do that? And we've lost sight of the sacred about entering into the presence of God. recognizing the body of the Lord. you got to understand. Let me say one more thing I really want to say, and I believe is of the Lord. Um, is anyone in here pregnant right now? There's got to be, yeah. Okay. We'll um, take the front. Yeah, what's your name? Carly. Okay. Carly has a life in her womb. But let's say Carly's not Carly. Let's imagine this is 2,000 years ago. And that's actually Mary. Okay? Let's imagine if Mary was in the room and you knew who was inside Mary's womb. Okay, you got to understand... When you study the the first century, the, the early church fathers, when they're trying to figure out Mary, they are freaking out because they're going, wait, the scriptures seem to point to the fact that it is literally God inside of her womb. And they're going, this is impossible. How could Almighty God, because they're thinking about Exodus. They're thinking about the Ark of the Covenant. They're thinking about the Holy of Holies. They're thinking about a God who spoke the world into existence. And now they're saying all of that is in the form of this infant, this baby in her womb. That's why that phrase, Mary, mother, God? That's where it came from. I'm not saying Mary was, you know, the, 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 the mother, you know, they're just going, wait, so she wasn't just having flesh in her. She had God inside of her. You know, the early church referred to Mary as the Ark. They call her the Ark. Because they're going, wait a second, all we know about the presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies. You're telling me then suddenly God himself went into a human being? No. that There's no way that much power. How could that happen? The creator who said, universe, and then boom, the stars, the planets, everything. That all was inside of a human being. Mary, mother of God. She had God in her womb. She became the ark that housed God. So let's imagine we all know that. And Mary's in the room. how would you treat her? Right? It's like, hey, why don't you sit in the front, you know? Let's fan you, let's feed you, right? No, I'm I'm being dead serious. If I knew that the creator of the universe was inside of her womb, I would be like, anything you need. I will drain my savings, everything, my car, whatever, My creator is in your womb. And what if she said something that was offensive to me? I'd be like, that's fine. (laughs) Right? I'd be terrified. You can spit on me, whatever, and I'll take anything from Mary because I know who's in her, right? Would you dare? Slander her, strike her, mistreat her. No, because God is inside of her. So then do we believe the New Testament or not that God is inside of me right now? that God is inside of Darren right now. See, we say things like, oh, the Holy Spirit's in him, and I know he's saved, but it's like we slow down. You're talking about a child of God. Almighty Yahweh. Yahweh. And here's his son, here's his daughter, and his spirit dwells inside of them. And you dare speak against them? Well, but what if Mary wasn't vaccinated? What if Mary voted for? There's something bigger going on here. I am not, I don't care what she does. I know the Spirit of God is inside of her. And so I'm going to honor her. Doesn't mean I won't question, like, hey, why'd you do that? Why'd you spit on me, Mary? I mean, it's fine, but, you know, that, that was weird and, you know, but, but, But I'm going to be cautious, right? Because you're going, God dwells in her. And I am not going to offend the creator of the universe. He is my judge. He is my king. He determines if I make it through the day. I'm about to take of his flesh and take of his blood. And I am not going to offend his son or daughter. These are sacred things. Having said all of that, I am super excited to be alive during this season of the world's history. Because I believe God is doing something in His church. Right now, He is humbling His church. I believe he is disciplining his church, exposing his church. I mean, Jesus made a promise. He said, a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. And we have just accepted all the divisions for the last few centuries. And we've been in our little circles with our own branding and bashing other people with different brandings without recognizing the body of the Lord. And right now, Jesus' words are coming true. A kingdom divided against itself will not stand. We're not going to win as long as we're divided. He also made the promise, but if you can strive together, with one mind, side by side, for the sake of the gospel, then the world will believe in their destruction and your salvation and that from God. But most of us are just thinking, no, let's try something else. I know what will win, people. If we do a service like this, this will attract them, or this will attract them, this will attract them. When God already said, look, a kingdom divided isn't going to stand. I promise you that. But if you guys will come together, you can't fail. And I'm not talking about uniting at the expense of truth, uniting at the expense of holiness. I'm just saying we need to unite and figure this out and recognize the body. We need to treat one another like we would treat the Virgin Mary with this fear, a holy fear, a reverence. Realizing what God wants, there's a bigger narrative going on. It's not about you and your feelings and being offended. It's about some sort of dialogue going on in heaven where Satan goes, watch this. Here's your church, it'll divide again and again and again. Look at Garden Church. It's probably two or three here that have already decided this will be my last Sunday because of what that guy said. It's just, it just, it happens every week, everywhere. And then we, the church just starts falling apart. And every day, just about every day, there's a new article, right? In the news about another church. I read one this morning. It's just every week. But what excites me is this humbling that's taking place. Very few people enjoy the labels they used to enjoy. I am an evangelical. Still like being called that? I am a Southern Baptist. How's that working for you? I am Roman Catholic. I'm proud of that. See, what I love about this is I'm willing to bet that 80%, at least of the people under 40, don't want to be labeled Presbyterian anymore or Methodist anymore or Roman Catholic anymore. And they wish the body was one. And there's such a desire for that right now. And they're starting to recognize the body of the Lord and see the Holy Spirit in people. I'm not talking about like a casual, I call myself this, but they're seeing, wait, there's some serious devoted people in the Orthodox Church who love the Lord Jesus and give their lives for him and respect him. I'm talking to priests and people of other denominations where I'm going, you can't look me in the eye and tell me that you believe this was God's desire, that there are 30 different tables, and I'm not allowed to take the bread and cup with you. And you're not allowed to take it with that guy, that guy's not allowed. You can't tell me, you read the scriptures and go, no, this is the way God always wanted it. 30 different tables. And they're like, no, you're right. I'm like, so what are we doing? We somehow have to fight for this. This is the victory when we begin to treat one another with a sacredness once we see the Holy Spirit really is in them and you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God and died on the cross and cleansed you of your sins, and the Spirit is in you, and I'm seeing the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and I'm realizing, wow, you really see Jesus as your Lord, and we may disagree on these these 35 chapters of this. We can talk it all through, but at the end of the day, if you're going to get on your face before a holy God who died on the cross for your sins, and you fear him, you revere him, and you see his spirit in me. Man, I, I want to be together. I want to be one with you. I believe the Spirit's doing something like that in our generation, and we could see it. But before we think of these grand plans to bring the whole church together as one, God just wants us as individuals to repent of any of the lack of reverence we've had for other spirit-filled believers, and say, God, I'm so sorry. I bashed your daughter. Could you imagine coming before a holy father, knowing you mistreated his daughter? Just to humble ourselves. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit Garden.Church.